0: Hey, Sam Sanders here. You're listening to Intuit from Vulture in New York Magazine. This episode, a fall preview. Going to look ahead to all the TV and movies coming out this fall and tell you what you ought to watch. And yes, I know, Hollywood is still striking right now. But I promise there will still be things to watch, at least for now. Whether it's the new Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon.
1: You know, you got got nice color scheme. What color would you say that is?
0: My color. Or the Golden Bachelor, in which The Bachelor this season is 71. He's Gary. And I'm your first Golden Bachelor. Also, we're gonna look back at some shows you may have missed from this summer. A recommendation or two that you can enjoy this Labor Day weekend. Like
1: HBO's Project Greenlight, which is
0: an education.
1: It's not excellent, but it is a fascinating portrait of making movies and the problem with making movies at this moment. I think anyone who works in an office will be able to like identify the, the politics and the tension at play and how no one wants to take responsibility.
0: All that coming up after the break.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
0: First, we'll hear from two Vulture writers about what TV and movies they're looking forward to this fall. Jen Cheney has our TV picks. Chris Lee has our movie picks. Jen, Chris, hello. What's up?
3: Thank you for having us.
0: I'm honored to have you both here this episode to look forward... To the fall slate of TV and movies all across the networks and streamers, et cetera. But we cannot have that conversation without first discussing whether or not all the shows we're supposed to see this fall and all the films we're supposed to see this fall will actually come to us this fall. The <laughs> actor strike is still going on, the writer strike is still going on. I've already heard about delays. How held up will this fall slate be? Do we even know?
4: Uh, sure, I mean, the, you know, the, the chaos that this is going to supply to the film world has been limited so far. Although we'll we'll see as these uh, twin strikes drag out, if if more movies um, wind up being delayed. But for the time being, there there are two big uh, movies that have been punted down the release schedule uh, simply because. Um, the movie stars are not allowed to promote their movies while strikes are underway. So the two big ones to date are Dune 2, which stars Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, um, which was supposed to come out on November 3rd and has been kicked down to March of next year.
2: This prophecy is how they enslave us! It's not a prophecy. It's
4: a story. And the other is Italian uh, filmmaker Luca Guagadino's Challengers, which also stars Zendaya. And it's a sort of uh, uh, sexual love triangle.
0: Oh, the tennis twink movie.
4: Yes. How
1: often does this happen? Going after the same girl?
4: Not as often as you think. We usually have different types.
1: So you're saying I should
4: be flattered? Aren't you everybody's type? That was supposed to come out in September. Um, Zendaya's uh, social media alone is, is so enormous that I think that they decided to, to press pause on that and put it out in April instead. And there are a couple of other smaller movies that are, are sort of in limbo at the time being. But those are the big ones that are okay. are not coming out this, this fall release yeah. frame.
0: As far as TV, Jen, I mean, mm-hmm. my biggest worry is that the shows that have, like, network seasonal schedules just aren't going to come back. Like – Abbott Elementary. Am I yeah. going to get my Abbott this fall?
3: You are not, Sam. No, Jen. No, Jen. No, Jen. No. I know it's the broadcast networks are the ones that are most immediately affected. Yeah, um, you know the streamers and some of the premium cable, they're affected too, but they still have pretty robust slates. So it's not like you're going to feel as if there's absolutely nothing to watch, but you're going to see the most obvious changes on the broadcast networks, like. A lot of emphasis on reality TV no. and game shows. No, You're going to see on CBS, they're going to start showing Yellowstone from the beginning as a broadcast show. F- wow. Uh, like kind of pivoting it, it from the Paramount Network because, you know, they have all this content. Mm-hmm. They can take some of the stuff they've streamed and put it on network television. So you're going to see a little bit of that. Um, you will still see animated, like the animation block on Sunday nights on Fox is still going to be very much intact with The Simpsons, Family Guy. Um, There's a new show called Crapopolis from Dan Harmon that is still going to debut.
2: In a land of gods and goddesses.
3: Athena, goddess of what's the list up to now? War, over-the-top outfits, and daddy issues. Okay. Um, Because animation is generally made sort of with a a longer time frame so they have it ready Mm. to go. And then you're going to see this weird thing called repeats. Ugh. Because all the Chicago shows that dominate on NBC, right, they don't have new ones. But people love the Chicago shows. So they're going to be showing – they're calling them encore presentations. They're reruns is what they are. (laughs) Uh, So that's going to be the most obvious, like, immediate impact.
0: Yeah. On top of stuff just being delayed, we're in this moment where when new stuff comes out, the actors can't even promote it. You know, we are taping this conversation in the week in which Denzel Washington's Equalizer 3 is hitting theaters. And usually, in a run-up to a Denzel release like that, he'd be his charming Denzel self all over the talk shows and the late-night shows. And I have only seen Denzel on billboards this go-round. How does that affect just, like, the culture of TV and movies? Not seeing the stars.
4: Uh, you know, I've been asking some of my sources about that, if there's like a quantifiable drop-off in people putting butts in seats mm-hmm. when movie stars do not stump for their own movies. And what people point to is the flash earlier in the summer um, that, you know, the not star... So has <laughs> not so flashy at all. The, the star, Ezra Miller, and uh, you know the, the flashy co-star, Michael Keaton, did not promote the movie owing to certain scandals and, and um, owing to Michael Keaton's uh, shooting schedule and other stuff. And people did not come out for that movie. I mean, you know, it didn't get good reviews, but I think it certainly didn't help that those people were not out there um, pimping it. And uh, you know, th- m- more recently, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did not have their stars out there pumping it either, and uh, the audiences didn't show up for those movies. So you know, I-, I don't know exactly what the you know quantitative correlation is, but it's just basically no bueno for these movies if the stars <laughs> can't promote them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I feel like with TV, maybe it's less of a big deal though to have the the stars out there promoting things because i feel like people are always flipping around looking at their netflix mm-hmm. and finding things no matter what but mm-hmm. certainly it's not ideal i'm more concerned about like what it's going to do to the release schedule down the line than i am about the promotion part of it at least at this point
0: yeah yeah yeah. all right let's look forward uh vulture has published a big preview guide for tv and movies coming out this fall stuff y'all like stuff you're into stuff people should make time to watch both of you listed some tv shows and movies for that vulture list i want you to talk about a few of them here on the show right now chris you've got two movies you're looking forward to jen you've got two tv shows um jen give us a tv show for the fall
3: All right. The first recommendation I have is Lessons in Chemistry. This is based on Bonnie Garmus's novel that has been enormously popular. It's about a woman who's very, very gifted in chemistry, um, working as a lab technician in the 1950s. But due to the rampant sexism of that field and of the time, she is unable to really advance in science. And Mm. she eventually starts hosting a cooking show that is very scientifically-based that becomes a huge hit. Welcome, viewers. My name is Elizabeth Zott, and this is Supper at Six. So it's about that, but it's it's about, like I said, sexism. It's about her relationship with one of the chemists that she works with. It's a really fun and good novel, and I've been watching some of the series. I have the episodes now. Brie Larson plays the lead, and she's oh. really, really good. I I, just, I, I like I, her. Yeah, yeah, she's really great. There's a lot of kind of literary adaptations coming down the pike in the fall of of kind of major novels. Um, There's All the Light We Cannot See. There's The Buccaneers, uh, which is Edith Wharton's unfinished novel. Um, But I think this one's going to be kind of a standout because the novel has been and continues to be so, so popular.
0: So I have two questions. Yes. One, the Brie Larson of it all. I like her so much. She's had some awesome performances. But she's even talked about how with her career, there's like no master plan. <laughs> Does mm-hmm. what she's doing now indicate where she might be headed? And then two, is this even more reason to finally download Apple TV Plus? A lot of folks don't use that service yet.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think, I mean, certainly the Apple shows can be hit or miss, but they've had a lot of good ones. So I feel like it is worth your time beyond Ted Lasso. I know there are some people who watch Ted Lasso and then that's it. That's the I like Severance. They
0: watch. I loved Severance. Actually. Severance is great. Absolutely,
3: yeah. that is reason enough, in my opinion, to have the to have the app. But yeah, I mean, I think this is a show that is absolutely worthy of of making it part of your whatever you use to to look at stuff: the TV, the the phone, whatever. Yeah. Um, and with Brie Larson, you know, I think this is more of a a layered role. I mean, her character is very hard on the outside a lot of Mm -hmm. people don't like her don't understand her but she finds ways to make her more empathetic and it's really interesting too having read the novel like they're doing some things that depart a little bit to allow them to also look at the racism that was going on in the 1950s which they didn't really address so much in the novel Hmm. so i feel like they're following the basic template of the book but they're also like pushing out from it in some interesting ways
0: okay okay chris tell me a movie (laughs)
4: <laughs> oh, well, before I get started, there, there's a suite of uh, you know flashy biographical dramas that are coming out. Um, I mean, there's there's Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Michael Mann has one uh, called Ferrari, which is based on Enzo Ferrari. The the, the, the figurehead of the Italian um, supercar company. And there's Priscilla, um, Sofia Com- Coppola's take on Elvis Presley's wife. I don't want to talk about any of those. The one that I want to talk about is called May December. It's directed by Todd Haynes, one of Indie filmdom's most acclaimed uh, and journeyman directors. Uh, It stars Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, and it's loosely based on... Oh, sign me up.
0: That's all you got (laughs) to say. That's (laughs) all you got to
4: say, Chris. (laughs) It's it's loosely based on uh, the events surrounding Mary Kay Letourneau, who was a tabloid sensation in the 90s, sixth grade teacher who had a sexual relationship with one of her students. Uh, She did time for statutory rape and had a child with this student, went on to marry him.
2: My character is someone
5: who transgresses. And how do we address that? You know, an age gap is one thing, but a relationship between an adult and a child is something else entirely.
4: Julianne Moore is the Mary Kay Letourneau uh, in this. And Natalie Portman portrays an actress who's sort of like a television actress who's trying to make a go of making, you know, an acclaimed indie movie. And in preparation, she does some method research by sort of shadowing this teacher who has this tabloid infamy.
0: Do you see my face right now? This yeah, is a catnip. For me.
4: <laughs> this is catnip.
0: Oscars tens across the board. <laughs> Peabody award. This sounds like it's going to is it good? Please tell me it's yeah, good.
4: Yeah, th- th- I mean, uh, th- this premiered at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year and um you know, it just got a raft of glowing reviews. You know, wow. it's a dramatic showdown. It's a dramatic duel between two actresses at, you know, at the at the top of the dramatic pyramid um and um you know basically the 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 thrust of the plot is that you know not only is this actress shadowing this you know this disgraced teacher but um you know there's all sorts of unexpected romantic ramifications when she injects herself into this family's life and gets a little too close to this this grown-up kid and uh you know this this disgraced husband
0: i am giddy i am giddy for this movie Okay, gonna take a break, gonna come back with two more picks.
2: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
0: We are back. We got two more picks for the fall. Let's start with... Chris, this time, tell us another movie that you're looking forward to this fall.
4: Okay, at the other end of the continuum, you know, as much as as, um, as May December is, you know, a, a character study. You know, it's an exercise in drama from two fine actresses. The other end of the continuum is uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. This is from uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, it stars money. Leonardo DiCaprio. The
1: land had oil on it, black gold. Money flows freely here now.
4: I do love that money, sir. <laughs> this is a epic, gangster western ripped from the headlines, biographical drama. Um, how, but how long on,
0: is it, Chris? How long is this uh, movie?
4: I, I mean, I, I think you know, pack your preparation, age, because I think this is, you know, this is this is going to be at least two and a half hours. I'm googling. We'll, we'll see what I'm the,
0: googling. the Google says. "Killers of the Flower Moon," the 2023 drama western. Is three hours and twenty six minutes long.
4: Yeah, Chris. Yep. So I think Chris. you can expect Vulture. Vulture is going to, you know, probably publish a guide to when you can go to the bathroom in the movie. <laughs> um, you know, we try to provide a public service to our readers. But uh-huh. uh, you know, this this is a big. I mean, you know, some might say bloated if you want to be unkind. But a Scorsese you know, definite, film bloated? No, <laughs> oh, how
3: dare you, Sam!
4: <laughs> it is it is based on a twenty seventeen nonfiction bestseller. Uh, that investigated the murders of wealthy Osage people, that's a tribe of the Great uh, Great Plains, after oil deposits were found on their land. A a bunch of the tribesmen uh, mysteriously went missing or wound Mm. up murdered. And uh, in this film, Leonardo DiCaprio portrays a guy who marries uh, a native woman uh, Mm. for her wealth, and um, basically, uh, you know, uh, it, at the heart of all this drama, of all this racial injustice, and what they called the Reign of Terror, is the story of this marriage, which sort of lays bare how all this bloodshed and terror and um, ex- you know exploitation took place.
0: You're not selling me, Chris. <laughs> it's, really? it, it's long, it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to be well, good? Okay
4: so 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 once again you know this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival it received a, a 9 minute standing ovation and I think that for a lot of people they they expect this to be Scorsese's swan song. You know, it just you know, at his advanced age, he's not gonna be making movies for that much longer. And, um, you know, this is just a, you know, a, a, a movie that first of all establishes Lily Gladstone, the woman that, that stars opposite Leo, as a major star in her own mm. right. She's a so-called newcomer. She's had a few smaller okay. roles on things like reservation dogs.
2: You can't help people who don't want to be helped. Arm that the hard
0: way.
1: You create the space for your friends.
0: Do it with intention. Neither the path will be laid for you. Or it
3: won't. Yeah, I feel like I've been hearing more about her than Leo, really. Just in terms of who is who's really the star of this thing.
0: Okay, right. So, are you excited for it, Jen?
3: I am excited for it. And and here's what I will say: three hours and twenty minutes, or whatever you just said, is a long time. But our bladders have been training for this all summer long. We sat through Oppenheimer. We sat through <laughs> Mission Impossible. We're ready for this challenge, and I think we can do it.
4: Okay. And I want Fair to point, point out one more thing. One more thing, which is a sort of vote of confidence. You know, Apple is put a, putting this thing out. Um, they, you know, just this week, Scotch plans to put it out in limited release in early October, and they're just going to roll it out in wide release oh. um, on October 20th, which okay. you know indicates that they, they think that this thing has a shot to do some some business, and uh, you know we'll we'll see if the audiences are ready to to sit for three and a half hours.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. You sold me. You sold me. Jen, you have one more TV pick.
3: I do, and it's Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. We are sex we take One, two, three, four.
0: As in Scott Pilgrim, of the Scott other Pilgrim. Scott. Yes. yes. Okay. The <laughs> okay. same one. This All is right. an
3: animated Netflix series. Uh, it was co-developed by Brian Lee O'Malley, who uh, wrote the original graphic novels. Edgar Wright, who made the very beloved film based on those novels, is one of the producers. And they got back literally every actor from their movie to do the voices of these characters again. Wow. So Michael Michael is in it, Kieran Culkin is in it, and Aubrey Plaza, like, everybody. Oh, wow. So, now I start watching the first episode, um, and I felt at first I was like, this is really very much like the movie um, where Scott falls in love with Ramona Flowers and has to fight her seven evil exes. You have seven evil ex-boyfriends? Seven evil exes, yes. And I have to fight? Defeat. Defeat? There's seven evil X's. if we're going to continue to date. Pretty much. But then something happens at the end of the first episode that is completely different from anything that's ever mm-hmm. happened in okay. the Scott Pilgrim universe. And it kind of takes off from there. So it does feel like a brand new story, but one that has the same aesthetic as the graphic novels. It really feels like kind of anime style animation. And it's really, really fun. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great show.
0: Okay, perfect. So I'm noticing kind of a theme with y'all's picks. Mm
3: -hmm. And I'm
0: also noticing a thing that our colleague Catherine Van Arundonck wrote uh, in her review of the fall season. A lot of the TV and movies are looking to the past, doing Mm -hmm. period stuff, going backward, not living in the present. Do y'all agree with that? And if so, why is that happening right now?
3: I read Catherine's piece. Um, I do—I agree, but I also feel like that's also been a situation that has been omnipresent for a while now. Mm. You know, everything is based on existing IP, and a lot of period pieces are are kind of a common thing. I think Catherine's point, at least on the TV side, is that it's going to feel more striking because of what I was talking about before, which is we won't have broadcast shows, which have more of an ability to speak to, like, the current moment because of the way in which they are made— Shows that are made well far in advance and focus on the past, like, those are going to be kind of more in the the center of our minds because there isn't going to be much else. So I think it's going to feel more omnipresent, if that makes sense.
4: Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to movies, I mean, you know, I, you know annually the, with, with the, this span of months called award seasons, which, you know, which kicks off around Labor Day and lasts through the end of the year, actually it lasts through uh, you know the broadcast of the Academy Awards. I don't think it
3: ever ends,
4: um, to be honest. Yeah, 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 I think ends. COVID it's like, made the award season eternal. <laughs> Well, what has what historically been known as award season, I yeah. mean, it's always bloated with with history. I mean, history is IP, basically. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to have a prestige drama that's going to get the awards to claim, usually it's like looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah.
3: yeah, but I, I will say, I, I really hope, and I'm sure they won't, that people in Hollywood take the lesson from Barbie. Not that people want to see movies about a doll or about existing IP, But something original. I think the reason that movie really resonated with people and continues to do so is because it felt really unexpected. It wasn't whatever you might have. I mean, if you know Greta Gerwig, you maybe expected it a little bit. But I think the average person was like, oh, this is not what I thought this was going to be at all.
0: And that was the beauty of Barbie. I followed the entire press run. I watched all those trailers five times. I went into the movie and I was still surprised. I was still surprised. Do these retellings that we're seeing this fall, I think all of y'all's picks – In some way, you're looking towards the past or, like, referencing previous IP. Are they pushing in new directions in any way or just strict retellings?
3: No, I mean, I think, you know, as I I mentioned in both of my uh, comments about Lessons in Chemistry and Scott Pilgrim, yes, there are stories that you have read, but they're going in different directions from the source material. Um, And there's also some shows coming out that are really brand new. Real briefly, I want to mention a show called The Curse. Um, okay. that I, if if I could stop everything I was doing and just watch The Curse for Wait, the whole day, I would do. Tell me more. Um, it doesn't have a release date yet. It's a Showtime series developed by Benny Safdie and Nathan Fielder. Uh, of so the it's Safdie gonna be, brothers? Uh-huh.
0: Oh, sign me up, baby. Sign me so up. So
3: it's going to, as you can imagine, it's just going to be real calm. There's going to be no stress in this situation at all. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, it's got
0: Emma Stone?
3: Yeah, Emma Stone plays Nathan oh. Fielder's wife. Oh. They are... Having oh. marital problems and they're trying to make an HGTV show about how they're, you know, gentrifying a community but making it look really positive. <sighs> so it, it plays with a lot of the ideas that Nathan oh. Filder has, has played with in his work, which is like, what is authenticity? What yeah. is real? What, who, who is conning who? Oh, this um, sounds like a real
0: mind fuck.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yep. And that's and that's a show I, I, I use that as an example because as I'm watching it, I'm like, I have absolutely no idea where this is going. Yeah. It's unusual. It's not like a lot of other things I've seen. And so I just I really hope that across the board in film and TV that that, that message is heard, that people still really have an appetite for new stories that are surprising to them.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and and towards that end, and just to answer your question, Sam, like you know, like you know, when it comes to this, you know, prestige movie release corridor, I mean, Napoleon Ferrari, Priscilla, I think that those are all like fancy award season biopics. The, the one that's an outlier in that is Chilean director Pablo Lorraine's El Conde, which reimagines the uh Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet as a vampire, and uh, that's coming out on yeah, what? yeah. Yeah, so that's coming out on Netflix. Oh and my that, that, god, that that takes a takes a left turn at the at, 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 you know the standard operating procedure of biographical dramas.
0: Wow. Okay, so we've talked about what we like, what we're excited about, but I want y'all to predict what's going mm-hmm. to be the biggest movie hit of the fall season and what's going to be the biggest TV hit of the fall season. Whether it's good or bad, what's going to be the biggest?
3: Ooh. gosh that's hard um
0: yeah i know i can tell y'all i can tell Yo, y'all go ahead. golden bachelor golden oh, bachelor God. baby
3: i was gonna say it's gonna be some reality thing that everybody's yep. watching and it'll yep. probably be something like that yep that seems right actually
4: <laughs> what are the like what's gonna be the biggest fall movie i can't even i don't know Yeah, you know, for me i would have said dune 2 That seemed like the most overtly commercial movie to me. This stuff hasn't come out, and a lot's dependent on marketing. So I hate to give you this wishy-washy answer, but I just don't know what's going to win, Sam.
3: It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and I think it's even harder to predict in TV because it's harder to get like a a big kind of consensus cultural moment. But I do think you're right that The Golden Bachelor will probably uh, drive a conversation or two or three.
0: All right, we did it. Jen, Chris, uh, tell our listeners again what y'all cover and where to find y'all.
3: So I cover television with a, a sprinkling of of movies and other things. Um, you can read me on Vulture and in New York Magazine and on the site that I continue to call Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I am Chaney J.
4: Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a senior reporter for Vulture and New York Mag. I cover Hollywood. I write about the movies. I'm on the platform formerly known as Twitter at two underscores Chrisley, C H R I S L E E.
0: Okay. Would Martin Scorsese ever direct the season of The Bachelor? No. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Make if, wait, make
3: Leo wait, the Bachelor. I was just and Scorsese. Say directs. That. Scorsese directs the season. Yep, yeah, but, but <laughs> then
4: all the women have to be under the age of 24.
3: <gasps> this is <a> fucking great <laughs> the fucking idea. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: All right, we just looked forward, but after the break, we're gonna look back at a couple of things you may have missed from this summer. I'll be talking with Sam Fergoso, host of the podcast, Talk Easy. All right, stay tuned.
5: Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community-building, The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
0: From one Sam to another Sam. Hello. Hi. Tell folks who you are.
1: Um, I'm the other Sam. (laughs) I host a podcast called Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, and uh, what can I say about it? It's a weekly interview program, artists, activists, some politicians, mostly artists.
0: Your Betty Gilpin chat, chef's kiss. Anywho. (laughs) She is good fun. She's really good fun. We wanted to bring you on, Sam Fragoso, because while this episode is all about looking forward to the fall season Mm -hmm. and what people should be reading, listening, watching in the fall— I feel like this summer is ending and I didn't catch all the summer stuff. There's uh-huh. some things that we missed and we figured who better to have a what you missed" conversation briefly in this episode than you. So we want you to talk about right now two things from this past summer of TV, movie, whatever content mm-hmm. that most of our listeners might have missed. Make the case for them
1: to go back and watch. Okay. I'll make the case. I found the Project Greenlight series, I think this is the fifth season of it, to be incredibly watchable. It's not excellent, but it is a fascinating portrait of making movies and the problem with making movies at this moment.
0: I know what I want to do in my head, and I think they're all concerned. I couldn't tell if Miko was delivering I'm a little nervous, America. I'm nervous.
2: This is a really big deal. The studio can pull the plug at any point.
0: So Project Greenlight was this HBO show launched years ago Uh in which Hollywood VIPs help new and upcoming creatives Mm -hmm. launch their first work. Exactly. And we can probably remember in one of the first seasons of Project Greenlight, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck basically came across looking like insensitive, out-of-touch white guys who yes. didn't understand the plight of creatives of color. Right. So that always left a bad taste in my mouth. When we're talking about diversity, y- you do it in the casting of the film, not in the casting of the show. Whew.
2: Wow, okay.
0: Do you want no, a, the making, best no, director? My, you know what I Since mean? then, Project Greenlight has tried to address these critiques, and now the cast of judges slash coaches is all people of color, including... Isa Ray, mm-hmm. But I was still worried, so I didn't watch. Is it better now?:
1: No, it's not much better. And I think one of the big problems is, the goal of the show, mm-hmm. they say, is to open the door for a new young filmmaker, to, to basically give them an opportunity that they would not otherwise have. But if you look at the history of the show, and now this latest season, none of the films have been very good. Like, they don't seem <laughs> that concerned with making a good film. They wouldn't mind that the film was good, but they would prefer that the reality show be chaotic. Mm. And in the history of the show, they had never chosen a woman to direct one of these movies. It was always wow. men.
0: And this season they said specifically, a woman. That's a woman. Happened. Yes. Okay.
1: And they chose a woman of color. And from the jump... You can tell, like, the, the deck is stacked against her. The script really? is troubled. It needs, like, a page one rewrite. She is not necessarily a writer. Mm. She's been brought in to direct something, and she now has to do pre production, script revisions, basically simultaneously. Mm. And from there, It just goes bad in every which way.
0: So I feel like, Sam, we have to briefly describe the movie that was greenlit on this Mm -hmm. season of the show. It was a screenplay for a genre movie called Grey Matter. According to Vulture, it was, quote, about a mother and daughter with superpowers.
3: These abilities only work if you are in control.
0: The script is designed to carefully align with the intended message of this Project Greenlight season as a whole. It's a vaguely sci-fi film about women of color Mm. pulsing with the pride of boundary-breaking representational politics. Okay, what
1: could go wrong? (laughs) Uh, Sam, you only took like three naps in the middle of that sentence, so... (laughs) Va- also, vaguely, I think like vague is the operative word there. The show has uh, like Issa and the team watch the film in real time. You know, they watch a screening. Um, they they watch like a first cut of it, and the responses in the room. You would have thought like someone passed away. It was uh, it was bad. It was okay. bad in there. It was bad in there. So is this good TV? And should I watch it? It is good TV. Okay. And you should watch it. Okay. Because it tells you something about the bureaucracy of filmmaking, Mm. how the middle men and women get involved and often leave creatives like hanging, Mm -hmm. and how many people over and over again just want to like shirk all responsibility. And so the show edits her, the director, in a way that makes her like an inattentive. Lay about,
0: And as it got closer to her delivering that director's cut, I was noticing Miko came in for a little bit and then left, or Miko decided not to come in for a couple of days.
1: It's wow. harsh. Wow. And I'm not saying she doesn't deserve any responsibility for how badly it goes. But anyway, since then, Issa and, and, and crew have said, in quotes, I have it here, um, if we get another opportunity to do this, we kind of want to start smaller and make sure the script is in shape.
0: So this is a must-watch just because it shows how bad shit
1: still is. And for people that, like, don't make movies, if you ever wanted to see and the conversations had between quote-unquote creatives and development executives, mm. I think anyone who works in an office will be able to, like, identify the the Ooh. politics— Okay, And the tension at play and how no okay. one wants to take responsibility.
0: Basically, the newest season of Project Greenlight should be on our list as a don't leave this summer without watching it. Because it sounds like a really good hate watch that exposes a lot about how Hollywood still doesn't quite work well.
1: Especially in this double labor strike where you're okay. wondering, like, how come all the sides can't get along? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and you watch and you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Good pick. Uh, your next pick for uh, what you missed this summer is more of a nice, fun palate cleanser, I'm guessing? I would say
1: it's it's a dirty, filthy mm. palate okay. cleanser.
0: Okay. But, Drum roll, please. What is this?
1: It's winning time. Okay. It's the latest season of winning time, which, which is basically the rise of the... Showtime Lakers, the Lakers dynasty in the 80s.
4: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Magic and the Lakers are back to defend their title.
1: I'll say this. If you're interested in a show that deals in facts, this is not your show. Okay. This is like crackpot revisionist history. It treats the NBA like the soap opera that it actually is as someone who's an NBA fan. Okay. There's drama, tons of sex, Full of misogyny of, of, of the 80s. Jerry Buss, who you probably know a little bit about, and the Bus family is just unbelievably chaotic and okay. um, silly. You know, it's executive produced by Adam McKay. You know, I think that gives you oh, a Oh, Adam sense McKay's support.
0: always a lot. He did. The Big he, Short he, was di- him, was that yeah, him? Yeah, he
1: directed The Big Short, Vice. He made that movie about the environment. Don't Look Up. Oh. I wanted to fight somebody over that one. Just trash. I, I wanted to fight myself for watching it.
0: So this is better though than hit this than is the other Adam better. McKay stuff. This Why? Is to- Why is it better?
1: Because he uh, look Adam McKay is a great talent, but they've hired a whole lot of like different directors. Uh, I think a lot of young new filmmakers, mm-hmm. and the cast is like fantastic. Yeah, John C. Riley playing uh, Jerry Bus. You have Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley, who who are like
0: oh, that sounds ty- fun.
1: Incredible. Gabby Hoffman is so good in it. Everyone, I is, like her too. Everyone's fantastic. Molly Gordon's in there. I think they get out of the way. You know those like movie, The Big Short and Vice. Those who don't like those movies, maybe you're one of them, would say yeah. like, "Oh, it kind of feels like a little pedantic handed time, but a little heavy-handed. heavy-handed. They beat you over the face with 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 point. This show beats you over the head with like silliness and insanity. Oh, okay, it, the, all the, right. The stakes aren't that high. It's all a right. it's a basketball team. Okay."
0: I will say though the stakes are high for me because as someone who doesn't usually find myself drawn to sports content, mm-hmm. I only want to watch sports content if it's great. When I think of the last sports thing I watched that blew me away, it was that pandemic-era ten-part Michael Jordan documentary series on Netflix. Is Winning Time that good?
1: No, no. But Winning Time's a different kind of fun. Okay. Um, and if you're interested in like, if you're not that interested in basketball, it's L.A. in the '80s. And all that goes with that, you will enjoy the show. Even if you don't care about basketball. Plus, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson's charming. And the guy they got to play him is like a dead ringer for Magic. What I say,
0: I say the Magic back, baby. Sam Fragoso, thank you for your time. Check out Sam's show. It's called Talk Easy. He manages to interview all the folks I want to interview and it's a great great listen
1: Sam Sanders enjoy
0: Intuit is hosted by me Sam Sanders the show is produced by Janae West Travis Larchuk Gabi Grossman Jelani Carter and Taka Zen. our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman our engineer is Daniel Turek our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder who now that I think about it needs to score the next Scorsese film the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. Listeners, we're back Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, go back and watch Scorsese's Gangs of New York and just see if you can stay awake the whole time. Just see. Just see. Okay, bye.